0: from second Corinthians chapter one, starting in verse three through seven. It says this all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father and source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Let's pray as we begin. Jesus, we believe that you're real, that you're good, that you love us and you lead to peace. We ask that even now, as some of us watch from home, a week later and the 25 of us that are in the room right now are processing this, this work that you're doing in and among us God we ask that you would just remind us that in the highlands, in the valleys God you are the same and you are with us and you are leading us even now to a greater understanding of you and a greater peace because of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus we ask that that in this, in this time, just this short time that we're together that you would just bring calm and comfort to our hearts that we might maybe for the first time come to understand who you are and that we would leave here changed, that we'd leave here different so Jesus we love you and we thank you we have no idea why you love us and yet you do and you promise to never leave or forsake us and so, so God even now God, just draw so near to us. God, just be so present with us. And it's in your name that we pray, the name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, Manny, for leading us. Thank you, everyone online joining us today. Thank you, everyone in the house. It's so good to see you. If you don't know me, my name is David, and I am uh, the lead pastor here at Community Life. Hey, before we get started, just a couple quick things. If this is your church, now is your chance to give, and so if you are at home, um, now is your chance to get ready. There should be a link right about here. Um, I know that most of you watching today are super faithful and super generous, and you've been super faithful and super generous over this past year, and so I'm so thankful for that. Thank you so much for being... um, Man, you know how sometimes you're just kind of in the flow? and like I wanted to talk about offering for a second because that's the right thing to do, but it just feels like a really weird time to do so. And now everything's on video, and it's just one of those moments that we're just going to... I'm going to talk about offering later. And so you can do it now if you want, but otherwise we'll talk about it later. Um, I just want to get right into the message, and we'll hit announcements at the end of the service. So for the past month, we have been going through the book of Philippians, and we've talked about how how we as God's people, in the midst of all sorts of disruptions from the world, all sorts of interruptions that have come our way, as we process this, we've talked about how to live faithful in the midst of God's faithfulness. And it's been a really powerful study, at least for me, especially as we finished last week acknowledging this incredible tension of to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is to have yet another day. For God's glory, and to die is is just to live forever in the midst of God's glory. It's life versus living, and we can't lose. And so it's this perspective of life versus living that we're going to continue on today as we conclude chapter one in a message that I'd like to call the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Can you say that with me, Marocas, real quick? The struggle is real. You know it's true. Rome, the struggle is real. Feels good, doesn't it? You want to say it out loud? The struggle is real. You got it. So if you have your Bibles, follow me quickly to Philippians chapter 1. And if you remember, Philippians was originally written by the Apostle Paul alongside Timothy to a couple friends. Well, his friends, the church in Philippi, somewhere around 60 A.D., Well, Paul was in prison, and he wrote it to tell them, first of all, how much he loved them and believed in them, and it was just so fired up for their faith. But he also wrote them to encourage them to stay strong, to fight the good fight, and to remind them of who they are and who God says they are because of the saving work of Christ. And it's this message that we see picking up as we close chapter 1 in verse 27. Paul says this, He says that above all, you must live each day as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel or the good news about Jesus. Paul says this must be your perspective and the lens you choose to see the world through. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. And I know we just started this, but, but indulge me for a moment, because on first pass, I think this, this verse might sound real normal as people that have grown up in Western, the Western world with, uh, with a, a Christian ethic just about everywhere we look. It sounds reasonable, but, but for a 10-year-old church in Philippi, some of this language that Paul was strategically using would have created some significant tensions in their spirit. Because the city of Philippi wasn't just a random city in the Roman Empire. It was actually a Roman colony. Now, what does that mean? It means that this place, Philippi, was specifically created for, the former, uh, for former Roman military leaders and politicians to live out their retirement. Roman leaders who would have had a long history of being extremely patriotic. And so here's, Ro- here's Paul now saying, all right, I love you so much. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But remember, above all, more importantly than anything else, what matters most is that you live today, here and now, not as citizens of Rome, but in full and complete surrender to heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus. Not the good news of Caesar, but Jesus. And what's wild about the second statement we just heard is that it's, and it's sometimes easy to miss, is that the word Paul used for good news here, which is the same as the word we use for gospel, it was the Greek word euangelion, and this is a fun one to say out loud, so I just need everyone in the house to say euangelion for a second. One, two, three. Euangelion. It's fun, Marocas. It's fun to say. Can you one more time? Euangelion. It's really good. And this this word euangelion, Um, it was another concept that the Romans would have been really familiar with. Because in the first century, whenever something amazing or big happened, the Roman Empire would send these messengers from town to town to town to tell everyone what was going on. And so they would enter the city, wherever they went, and they would stand in the center of the square, and they would shout, euangelion, I have good news! I have the gospel of Caesar! I have the gospel, the good news of our God, our Lord and Savior, the Caesar, the king! And so this language of gospel and good news was the norm to them. They understood it. Some of these people listening might have even been the messengers that ran from town to town to say the good news about Caesar. And now, back to verse 27, here's Paul. He's talking about being good citizens, citizens of heaven, and to share the good news, the gospel, and all of these former Roman patriots would have instantly understood what he was implying. They would have understood that now Jesus was in charge. Caesar is not in charge. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the boss. Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. And this was a massively controversial statement to make in the first century. I would say that the closest equivalent we would have would be the Apostle Paul showing up to 21st century America and rewriting the Pledge of Allegiance and the Star Spangled Banner in Jesus' name. It was that big of a deal. It had some massively serious implications. So, one more time. You must live regardless of where you're at. You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the Euangelion, the good news, the gospel about Christ. Then, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose fighting together. And you have to remember, again, he's speaking to former soldiers. And he's saying you need to fight together for the faith, which is the good news, the euangelion. Verse 28, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved even by God himself. And this this is the end here. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. The struggle is real. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Philippians 1, 27 through 30, one more time. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting and serving and being saved by Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. This is the end of chapter one. Struggle is real. Struggle is real. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about, and we've already talked a little bit about the context here. But just like every week, for the sake of time, if you're taking notes today, I really felt led all week to spend the rest of our time today trying to make sense of this paradox that Paul calls the privilege of suffering, the privilege of suffering. And I want to dig into this theme of struggle and suffering because of how often we find ourselves in it asking why, why? I mean, let's be real 2020 and beyond, even into 2021. I just wonder how many of you watching today have ever wondered why is this happening to me? Why is this happening from broken families to broken bodies, to finances, faith, and fear, just to name a few. It, it hardly seems like a privilege sometimes what we face. It hardly seems like a privilege when things are hard and don't go their way. Like, for example, I remember when um, we first had my daughter, River, and she's, uh, she's four now, um, but, but when she was first born, this question of why, was all too common somewhere between the hours of 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. Julie, I'm sure you can relate, right? You totally get it. When my sweet angel of a daughter decides she wants to hang out when everyone else is sleeping. And so we'd be like mid-sleep cycle. When I heard her start to fuss, and then I would just pray. I would get on my, I'd say, Lord, please let her fall back asleep. Just let her fall. And it's quiet for a moment, right? And so I'm thinking maybe the Lord heard my prayers. And... And then the screaming begins. And so I make my way up, and I pick her up, and I try her to get her back into her crib. And this is, the part, this is the mistake. When she's awake, you just know that she's awake. And so I try to give like an hour to try to get her back to bed before bringing her downstairs. And my incredible wife, Rebecca, we take turns holding her all night. And I'm sitting there in the midst of this crying child. I'm sitting there um, recognizing what a nightmare I'm going to be in the morning, just thinking, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? And this was just about sleep. The struggle was real, and it was just about a couple hours less in bed. But sometimes the struggle, sometimes the struggle, it can feel almost overwhelming. Like a couple years ago, I was at an annual retreat for an advisory board. I was on um, a nonprofit that focused on addiction and mental health. And so I'm in this room with these incredible leaders, like world-class leaders that speak all over the world, that work so hard to inspire hope and change for students, and we start to go around the room. I don't know why I was there, but we start to go around the room to introduce ourselves and share why we care so much about this, this cause, and from person to person, from person to person, story after story, there was this common link of tragedy and trauma and suffering from the great evil in our world called addiction. There were stories about children lost to heroin, parents lost to alcohol, years lost in prison, relationships lost to abuse and lives lost to suicide. All of which, as we sat and told our stories, all of which followed up with the question, why? The struggle is real. But why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to us? What did I do to deserve this this pain? What did I do to earn this suffering? And this question, though universal, I think it tends to escalate even more for people of faith as we try to make sense of, you know, if God is good, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? If there's one question that's asked to me more than any other as a pastor, it's that. If, if God is good, then why do bad things keep happening? If God loves me, then why am I still going through these seasons of such garbage? If God is for me and wants what's best for me, then why do I hurt so much? Then why do I hurt so much? I thought, I thought maybe, just maybe, when I gave my life to Jesus, you know, some relief would come some prosperity for people adopted into God's family. But here I am in the midst of the fiercest storm I've ever faced thinking, why would God put me through all of this? God, if you're real and you love me, why would you let me suffer? Why? Why, 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 why? Well, this question of why, that we've all asked more than we'd like to have lived, I think it's actually two separate questions. And we need to look at both if we want to make sense of any of this privilege that Paul says exists in our suffering for Jesus. So we have two questions that we're going to look at real quick. The first question is, why do we suffer? And the second question is, why will we suffer? And I know you might be thinking, David, you just you just asked the same question twice. But listen, there's a very real difference, and so let me explain. When when we say why do we suffer, what we're really asking is why is there suffering? Why is there suffering? And, that, and at the very basic, fundamental level, the answer to that question is simply suffering exists because of sin. Suffering exists because of sin. We as human beings, we suffer because sin exists. Sin that has been ripping apart the fabric of our world since the garden. Sin that has been made manifest through an infinite number of possibilities across all space and time for the sole purpose of keeping us from knowing God. This is the end game for the enemy. This is the end game. Uh, of the devil to keep people from the God who loves them by any means necessary. And so suffering is just the wake that sin leaves behind. The struggle is just the wake that sin leaves behind. And we see it everywhere. We see it everywhere we look. Just turn on the news for a second addiction, abuse, oppression, war, racism, pandemics, murder, slavery, genocide, the list could go on and on and on. And those are just the big ones, right? We start to talk about small ones. We're like, oh man, what about pride? What about lust? What about jealousy? Listen, our world is a catastrophe. It's a mess. And yes, it's capable of doing some absolutely, incredibly beautiful things. But first and foremost, our world is a place where suffering is the standard. Suffering that keeps us distracted And always asking, why? Why? As we search for solutions instead of drawing nearer to God. And it's so easy. It's so easy, even as Christians, to fall into this trap of hunting for answers. It's so easy to blame our suffering on what we see with our eyes. On what we feel and experience on the surface when when the root of suffering is far more devious. And this is what Paul breaks down in Ephesians chapter 6. He says that the source of the struggle, the source of our suffering isn't in the symptoms. Because we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers and evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul says that the struggle is real because evil is real and has free reign over the earth, playing no favorites. The struggle is real because evil is everywhere. It's everywhere. So, okay, question number one, why do we suffer? Well, if it's not obvious, we suffer because the entire world is suffering. And the world suffers because of sin. Now, that brings us to question number two, which really affects us being at church right now. If, If God loves us, And we know that God loves us. If God loves us, then why, uh, not, not why is there suffering, but why will we suffer specifically? I mean, I can understand the rest of the world collapsing under the weight of its wickedness, but as God's family, as God's adopted children, why would he keep us here in this mess? Why would he keep us here facing such pain and heartache? Why would he leave us here in a constant state of destruction I think that's the question that we really want the answer to, not so much, why do they suffer, but why do we? Well, the best answer I have for you, and it's not going to bring a lot of warm and fuzzies, but it's true. He said, "We're here as citizens of heaven," Philippians chapter one verse 26. We are here as citizens of heaven, just like Paul said. We're here in this place where we face trials of many kinds, in the struggle. We are here because God believes in us. We're here because God believes in you. God believes in your future and wants to bring purpose to your past. God wants to use everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. He wants to use your pain for his glory so the world that he loves to death might come to know him and believe and be saved. And this is what we heard in Corinthians 2 at the very top of this message, that God meets us and he comforts us in our struggle so we can go and meet others in theirs and bring them the same comfort that God brought us. God saves us from the dark so we can bring the light of the gospel, the euangelion that we received back to the shadows that need it most. And this is why we're here, and yeah, we got to deal with it. But this is why we're here, and why we suffer as God's people. It's not because God hates us. It's not because He has it out for us, or there's some weird cosmic karma where God is balancing the scales of all our rights and wrongs. No, it's only because that we're the ones capable of facing the the worst that the world can give, and still make it out alive. We're here because we're the only ones that can handle the wake of sin. Because we know as God's people that this life, it isn't the end. We've already died and been born again. So for us to live another day is, is for the glory of God. And for us to die tomorrow is just to go on living forever. This is our eternal security. This is our eternal security and we can't lose. It's a win, 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 even in the wake of sin. Even in the loss, there's a promise. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, all throughout the Bible, God tells us this side of heaven is going to be pretty awful. I think some of us watching today should have read the fine print, right? God says that we will suffer in the wake of sin. God says that we will suffer more than any other because of that everything within us, everything that is us, is, is now at odds with the evil that surrounds us. And so God tells us, He says, Expect the pain. It's coming. Expect the suffering. It's the standard of this world. But God also tells us to expect something else. God tells us to expect His comfort, His presence, and His peace. Because He will never leave us or forsake us. No, He is with us from here to eternity saying, just come, just come to me. Just come, all who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, he's just saying, and to all of us in this room, watching online, even now, Jesus is saying, just come to me. You have been trying to make it out alive on your own, and I want to be with you. I want to carry you. I know that the struggle is real, but I am here for you. And I will bring you peace, and I will bring you rest. I will bring you peace, and I will bring you rest. And I just tell you what, like as, as, a, as a first century Roman citizen living in, in Philippi at the time, having put their entire hope, all of their trust, in the Roman government, hearing this from from Paul must have been simultaneously the most terrifying thing they've ever heard, but also the most liberating. That there was nothing that they could do that could separate themselves from the love of God. And this is the gospel. This is the euangelion, the good news. And I know that for some of us here today, we need to be reminded of that more than ever, as we've gone through some really significantly challenging seasons over the past couple years, this past year, this past year. I know that some of us are going through it even now. So as we finish up today, um, concluding chapter one, uh, I'm going to invite Manny and and Wes back up. They're going to lead us in just a second, but... I don't, I don't know all the things that we're going through. I know some of it, but I'm certain that a fair number of us watching are carrying some really significant weight. And these words of Jesus have come to me, let me carry it. We hear it, we know it to be true, and yet there's still something in us that, that can feel this disconnect. So I know that there's people here, even now in the thick of the struggle, just wondering why? Just wondering why. And maybe for some of you, the struggle is totally self-induced. I have been on the other side of some, uh, of, some, of some suffering that was absolutely my fault. For others, you're facing some very real suffering and pain like the church in Philippi because of your faith. No doubt. And still others, you're just getting hit from all sides by the wake of sin of others. Like, But regardless of what you're facing today, regardless of the cause of your pain, and the struggle, there are two things I need you to remember, just two. First is that no matter how far gone you think you are, no matter how deep the pain has brought you, God is with you, and God wants to bring you peace through the Holy Spirit. God is with you and wants to carry your burden. That's number one. And number two, it might not always seem like it, but I need you to know that you have a choice. You have a choice in this. You can choose to suffer alone like the majority of the world. You can choose to face the struggles alone in a constant state of why, chasing down every possible reason. Or or you can choose to live with open eyes to God's presence even in the midst of your pain. It's really up to you. Because the struggle is real either way. Suffering is the standard either way. It is the reality for the entirety of humanity. Suffering is a guarantee. This is the fruit of a broken world, and it's here to stay. But so is the goodness of God and the promise of his peace. And so it's up to you. It's up to you, you can can choose to go it alone. You can choose to face all the garbage that this world has to offer. You can choose to take that on yourself and carry that burden alone. Or you can begin even now to live with open eyes to God's presence in the midst of your pain. And so I don't know where you're at, but I I know where, where we need to be as a church. I know where we need to be and that is we need to choose to see beyond the struggle with the power of the God's spirit. We need to choose to be a church that draws near to Jesus in the midst of our burden so he might carry what we might be too afraid to let go of. And we need to be a church that's brave enough, not just to experience the peace of God, but to go back into the suffering to go back into the struggle so so those that are in it might finally know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We need to have the courage to go back to the places we've been saved from so they might know, so they might know that to live is Christ and to struggle, to suffer, to die is gain. This is the way of Jesus. This is what he primed us for and all that Paul has been talking about throughout the book of Philippians. This is the way of Jesus. The struggle is real. But we don't have to go it alone. So let us follow him. Let us follow him. We're going to close here in person a week before you watching it online. We're going to be closing with a time of response. Uh, just a chorus and a bridge of this song we taught a moment ago called Highlands. And it's a song that couldn't be more relevant today as we've all been facing so much. And so I know that it's a new one. And so I I just encourage you, if you you know it, sing along. If If you don't, just let it be a meditation of your heart as we begin this new week. Remembering and declaring that even in the struggle, struggle that's real. That even in the struggle, God is with us and he is leading to peace. So I love you. Let's pray and then we'll sing and then we will be dismissed. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We ask that you would just again open our eyes to your presence. That even as we walk through this valley of death, God, we we recognize that you're with us. Your rod, your staff, your power and your presence, they comfort us. so Jesus, we just ask again, we petition you in this place tonight that you would wake us up to your presence, that we would come to realize again that the struggle is real. Sin is everywhere, but so are you. And your goodness, your promise, your peace, So Jesus, as we sing, as we, as we come back together, God, I just, uh, I'm just so grateful that you love us, that you believe in us enough to leave us here with you. So it's in your name that we pray the name of Jesus and we all said.